Oh boy. Oh boy, gotta do some stretches, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we gotta do some stretches. It's been a while since the last two-parter. <laughs> Ooh. Guys, I didn't think it was gonna be a two-parter, but goddammit, it's gonna be. <laughs> it's a long movie. It's a long, long movie. Should have anticipated this. <laughs> <laughs> In spite of that, you guys have to go watch this movie. You do! It's a great one. It's one of my faves. <laughs> You love brutal filmmaking. Listen. <laughs> I am made stronger by the struggle. <laughs> you masochistic little film buff. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> okay? Okay. But you know there are some movies I won't watch. <laughs> like, what's that one called with the, uh, oh, Leonardo da Vinci? <laughs> DiCaprio or whatever his name is. Yes. Oh, what's it called? The Revenant? Yeah, The Revenant. When you told me you had a panic attack watching it, I thought, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I know we don't have the same experiences. You broke your neck. I drove into a telephone pole. They're very different. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, our trauma aside, let's get to it. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, where we're ugly, but we're here. I'm Carrie. I'm Roz. And this week we are covering the 1985 adaptation of Alice Walker's Pulitzer Prize winning novel, The Color Purple. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Again, I'll say this I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. Black History Month is like all year. It is. It, 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 like, come we, on. We should always be celebrating black excellence and like black art and black science and like all of the contributions of their culture. Like, it's just, guys. Before we get started, don't forget, go follow us on Twitter at Kick and Stream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And practice the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join our little watch party. And don't forget, folks, you can now go support us on Patreon. For $5 a month, you can be a part of our Little Onion tier and get all of our long-form content where we talk about television, miniseries, all that good stuff. We've got some special episodes coming. It's going to be great. Guys, trigger warning for everything All today. the things. Like, All the things. You name it, we've got it. It's going to be a rough road today. It's pretty brutal, and it might be a little bit of a long episode. Who knows? Carrie Ann will finesse with her editing magic, but I'm going to be generalizing some things. I'm not going to go into graphic detail about it, but like, we're going to try and have a meaningful conversation today. Also want to say here at the top, we are two white people from the Midwest. Yeah. But we wanted to share this this great piece. I think it's very well done. It may be Steven Spielberg, but I do not think this is a whitewashed story. I think this is a film that does a great job of bringing the book to life, bringing Alice Walker's work to life, and to sticking to the message. Yeah, this is also going to be a heavy related media episode. I'm going to be dropping links to some sources by Black Voices on this project. Go check that out, guys. <laughs> this movie with an all-Asian cast, you could have made this movie with an all-Puerto Rican cast, you could have made this movie with an all-French cast, you know, and the story would be the same, because this is a universal story, and that, I think, is, is, is what keeps it going, it's what people feel when they see it for the 99th time and still weep uncontrollably. It is one of the best movies ever made. Because it's about us. Humans. In 1982, a writer named Alice Walker published uh, probably her most successful work, which is The Color Purple. It won the 1983 Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Um, And this film got made rather quickly. The book did very, very well. I love Oprah Winfrey and Whoopi Goldberg telling the stories about how they got the part. And they, they both say, you know, we read the book and we're just crazy about the book. I think the film is a classic because the work itself is classic. The fact that you had been victimized in your life, but you can experience the light and see triumph, that is a classic story. I knew when I read it that it was a classic story. The very first day I read it, it, just, it that book knocked me off my feet. Is this why Oprah has a book club? 
I think it is one. Of, it is actually. Oh my god! It's, really? It's one of the main reasons she wanted to start the book club. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and obviously Steven Spielberg directs. Hi, Steve. Hi, Steven. Well, welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, guys. Come on, E.T., Close Encounters, Indiana Jones, Empire of the Sun, Jaws, like Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, War of the Worlds. A man who, to his own credit. When Quincy Jones asked him to make this movie, he was like, I am a white man yes. <laughs> who knows little to nothing about the American South. Like, shouldn't the director be a person of color? And, like, Quincy was like, nah, you could do it. Yeah, it could be great. Do you it. You could do it, bud. He latched when he got when he got hooked and felt it. I remember going up, flying up with him to stop by. He and Lucas were finished the dubbing on uh, Raiders of Lost Ark. And we had to meet Alice that night. Stephen was nervous. He was concerned because he cared, you know. You know, I auditioned for Alice Walker. I didn't just meet her. I knew I was going to audition. I knew that she had the power to say, for whatever reason, I don't think he's right to, to turn my Pulitzer Prize winning story into a motion picture. And I went to meet her to sell myself. I hadn't done that in a decade. And, uh, and I, I was enthusiastic about it, too, because at that point, I really wanted to tell that story. Quincy Jones also produces. I love that this is one of the only Steven Spielberg films that does not credit John Williams as composer. <laughs> yeah. And plus, guys, this soundtrack is amazing. It's so beautiful and so, so true to the story. And we had to have a black composer. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're doing a black story, use black people. Absolutely. Come on. <laughs> Come on, mainstream white America. No, yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's not exactly a hot take. This is one of the few you know, films from this era that focuses wholly on black issues. Obviously, the book is only about black people. But I was real. you know, you'd think that in this time they'd try and whitewash the narrative in some ways. But no, not really. There's literally like two important white characters and they're not even here for a long time. Yeah. And we're being real loose with that word important. <laughs> Indeed. We're, we're being real loose with that word. It made $127 million. It's such a beautiful film. Like, that's the thing. Like, I can only take brutal filmmaking maybe a couple of times like seeing the same movie like three times this is the third time I've seen this movie and it's never less difficult to watch I know because the story is so powerful and you know it was actually boycotted by the NAACP why is that for its depiction of rape oh okay yeah but like to be quite honest I think that it's more important to tell the truth yeah. of the story than try and censor it. You know what I mean? You know, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actress for Whoopi Goldberg, and Best Supporting Actress for both Margaret Avery and Oprah Winfrey. Oh no, the female performances in this movie are exquisite. I know. I love that it's centered around women. I do too! And the horrible things that men do to them. Oh my god. And how they come through it. How they survive. And you know, it didn't win a single of them. Yeah, that's shitty. It didn't win a single Oscar, and I'm like, honestly, robbed. But unfortunately, not surprised. So, The Color Purple tells the story of Celie Harris Johnson and her life growing up in Hartwell County, Georgia. The, the narrative is so brutal, guys. We're depicting the story of a young black woman in the rural South between 1900 and 1940. It's brutal, guys. So bear with us. I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to go into graphic detail about everything, but I am going to give you the facts of the narrative. The novel is epistolary. Can you tell me what that means? That means it's a bunch of letters to God, right? Like devotionals? Yes, indeed. That, that, that is how epistolary itself means that the narrative is made up of either letters, diary entries, newspaper clippings, stuff like that. Oh, it's like Frankenstein. Yeah, actually, yes, actually, yes. Okay, okay. And so what Celie does in order to cope with the immense amount of trauma she suffers in her everyday life, she writes letters to God. That's so wonderful. It kind of reminds me of Precious a little bit. A little bit. By Sapphire. Like, and I love that it, 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 we should definitely cover that sometime, by yeah. the way. But like, one of my favorite things about Precious is that as you read that book, her grammar and her writing gets better. I remember that. As the novel goes along. Because she's learning to read. And a similar thing is happening in Alice Walker's novel where she just gets better and better as time goes on. Oh, that's great. All right. <laughs> Folks, you might have guessed it, but we've got names. Please welcome in 
her first kicking and streaming appearance? Inexcusable on our part. I know. Absolutely inexcusable. But it's her first film, Miss Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, her first film on the show and in her actual lifetime. In her actual career. Guys, Miss Whoopi has been in the news recently. Yeah, you... I'm sorry. It's not funny, but what was funny was you looked at... You showed me the news story on the timeline, and you went, what terrible timing. Yeah, I know. ABC benched Whoopi from The View because she said the Holocaust was not about race. Like, people say dumb things sometimes. Listen, I'm not going to excuse that entirely. No. Whoopi, like, come on. No, 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 no. It was almost... Entirely about race, Whoopi, but like, you know what? ABC did the right thing. They put her on the bench. I hope she's not canceled forever. I hope she, she said she stands corrected. She apologized. Which is like the appropriate reaction. Yes. Whoopi, I still love you, but mama, take a second. (laughs) Just don't say dumb (laughs) shit. Also, it's the view. Those women are not qualified to talk about hardly anything that they are. It's literally, it's literally four or five women from the entertainment industry telling you their hot takes on things, which is the format of the show, and like, it's fine. I watch compilations of fights on The View to relax. You know what the best one is, though? Oh, Rosie! Rosie and Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Rosie O'Donnell and Elizabeth Hasselbeck. The, the, mm, <laughs> you the know t- what, Elizabeth? <laughs> I'm not going to get into this with you right now, <laughs> because you know how it's going to be spun in the media. Rosie, big, fat, loud, lesbian Rosie is picking on poor little Christian Elizabeth and I'm not gonna do it I love Rosie O'Donnell so much she said no thanks (laughs) god but guys sorry we got away from it yeah we sure did you know Whoopi from The View she's an EGOT Yes! Well, she is not an EGOT. She has an EGOT. An Emmy, a Grammy, an Academy Award, and a Tony Award. You know, Whoopi Goldberg started out on Broadway. Then she worked her way into film and stand-up comedy. And then, hell, she went to television, too. She, you know, she's only one of 16 people to achieve that. I know, it is a very rare achievement. You know, she won an Oscar for Ghost with Patrick Swayze, which is another fave of mine. Guys, sister act, Thoroughly Modern Millie. She was in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yes, she was. was. When it was on Broadway. Yes, she was. And she was in A Funny Thing Happened. On the way to the... uh, The Forum. The Forum. I can never remember what the last word is in the title of that musical. Guys, she's hosted the Oscars, the Tonys. She's a household name. We love Whoopi. Want to know my favorite Whoopi Goldberg performance other than this? What? When she plays Buckwheat's mom in Little Rascals. (laughs) She's on screen for five seconds and everybody screams. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Mr. Danny Glover. Please welcome him back. Yes. He has been with us before. He was with us last Halloween when we covered Insidious. Saw. Uh, <laughs> I watched your brain just short out. The way he's blinking right now, he can't believe he said it. Please don't include this in the recording. <laughs> he was with us last Halloween when we did Saw. I'm so sorry. He's also in uh, that. The only other thing I really know him from is Angels in the Outfield. Yeah, I know, I know. He's in lots of great stuff. He's in the, I mean, I don't know that I like them, but the Lethal <laughs> Weapon movies. Yes. Everybody loves the Lethal Weapon movies. Um, He's also, oh, you know what? He's in 2012, that disaster movie. Yeah. He's the president of the United States. Hell yeah. And he um also, no relation to Donald Glover or Childish Gambino. This bit again. I'm kidding, no. <laughs> Folks, please welcome for the first time to Kicking and Streaming, is Oprah Winfrey. Guys, one of the most famous women in the world. The wealthiest black American in history. <laughs> Hell yes, ma'am. Uh, listen, Oprah can be mm, a little problematic. A little precious. <laughs> She's a uh, television personality, obviously. She hosted the Oprah Winfrey show from 1986 to 2011. That's 25 years of a daytime talk show, Oprah. How'd you do it, girl? I know, right? Obviously, she's been dubbed the queen of all media. Uh, At one time, was the world's only black billionaire. Yeah, I know we're tough on billionaires on this podcast, but I can't name very many billionaires who stood up in front of a studio audience and said, you get a car and you 
you get a car and you get a car. Who else can just do that? <laughs> no I, one. No, they all could, Ross. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Is that they could and they choose not to. And, you know, Oprah, Oprah actually, mm, I kind of think of Oprah as almost a deity. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because Many people do. Oprah said one of the things that has helped me most in my own life. Oh, tell me. It's that life is about being the highest possible version of yourself that you can be. Aww. Yeah. I love that. And she also introduced to me the notion of some people, you can be a 10-gallon person and not feel full up because sometimes people are only 5-gallon people. You cannot spend your life with your gallon size offerings, offering them to pint-sized people. You have got to surround yourself with gallon-sized people who can hang in the same company with you so that you're not offering your gallons to those little pints out there who can't hold it anyway. I do love Oprah. She's done some questionable shit with her interview tactics, so I'm not giving you a total pass, Miss Oprah, but I'm glad you're here, and you can act, babe. Oh, yeah, no, she sure can. And you got Barack Obama elected. <laughs> That's power. Oh, my God. That is power. Please welcome to Kicking and Streaming, Miss Margaret Avery. I don't know that I've ever seen her in anything else. This is literally the only thing I've ever seen her in. Uh, like, she looks she looks perfect for an Eartha Kit biopic. Carrie. I had not even thought of this. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, she would be amazing in an Eartha Kit biopic. She's a fabulous singer. She, she's not. Oh, it's not her? It's not her singing. Oh, no. <laughs> Shug Avery's singing voice is provided by Tata Vega. Oh, okay. Yes. Hi, Tata. Some honorable mentions, Adolf Caesar, Willard Pugh, who plays Harpo, Ray Don Chong, who plays Squeak, Lawrence Fishburne. Oh. Welcome back to Kicking and Streaming, Lawrence Fishburne. He plays Swain in this. Uh, he's so fine. <laughs> 1985 Larry Fishburne and I need to talk. <laughs> when he came on screen he's... in the juke joint scene, I went, hello, sir. We also have returning with us, Dana Ivey. Oh, no! Dana Ivey has been with us on the show before. Twice. This is her third kicking and streaming appearance. And guys, listen, this is not Dana's fault. She's an actress. But three out of the four times she's been on this podcast, she's played a horrible white lady. With white lady problems. Yeah, with white lady problems. In Sleepless in Seattle, she had white lady problems as annoying the shit out of Tom Hanks. <laughs> In Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, she was that stuck-up concierge at the hotel, at the Plaza Hotel in New York City where Kevin goes to stay. In The Help, she's that horrible woman. Oh my god, this is her fourth kicking and streaming appearance. Yes. I forgot about The Help. Yeah, in The Help, she's the leader of that horrible woman's organization. Grace Higginbotham. Yeah. The president of the Daughters of America. And today she's playing the mayor's wife. Ms. Millie. Yeah, so you know she's going to be trouble. All right. Are you ready to cringe? I mean, I listen, today is going to be tough. Uh, this episode is very triggering in a lot of ways, uh, not only because of the brutality towards people of color, but it's triggering for me because of sexual assault and similar traumas. And so I'm, I'm going to try and focus on the really wonderful parts of this story because there are really wonderful parts of this narrative. I'm going to say this one more time before we start. We are white. Yes. This is a black person's story. We're going to be as respectful as possible. What is it I tell you when you always get nervous when we cover black content? We don't have to be absolute crackers about it. No. Yeah. No. We, yeah. No. We... You we got so nervous. I know. It's because we really, like, we we try to talk about the movie and, like, have an intellectual conversation about adaptation of art and film and how they come together. But what I'm saying is we can in no way identify with the characters in this story. Yeah. We could never possibly identify. No, no, no. All we can do is convey the emotions we feel in viewing the film. Yeah. That's kind of what this podcast is about, right? In indeed. H how movies make us feel. So, just saying, we're not trying to claim this in any way. Yeah, this is not about us. <laughs> this is not about us. This is just a very beautiful and important story. And it affected us. And happy Black History Month. We open in a field. 
two children play. We have Celie and Nettie Harris. Oh, Celie and Nettie. This is 1909. Hartwell County, Georgia. Celie and Nettie, they're playing in this field of purple flowers, and I'm already emotional. I love the music in this film. Thank you so much, Quincy Jones. You did such a great job. Shout out to your daughter, Rashida. I love her as the straight man in anything comedy. <laughs> First note is Celia and Nettie. This is gonna hurt me, isn't it? It is. It, like this is this movie is one long owl, and it all starts with us getting these images of these two sisters and their beautiful little relationship. Ain't no ocean, ain't no sea gonna keep my sister away from me. That little hand game, the little hand game rhyme they do. Makidata. Oh I, my god. I don't know the origins of that. I don't know where it comes from, but it's really cute and it's something they do all the time. And Celia and Nettie are really all each other has. I'm feeling so good until these two run out of the field and we see that Celie is 14 years old and pregnant. I have Oh no, not the child being pregnant. It's winter 1909. Nettie and Celie's father is Alfonso Harris. Mm. He's a rapist. I hate Alfonso. And a degrader of his two daughters, Celie and Nettie. He, these two little girls, his children, two people who are supposed to be his pride and joy, they're like cattle to him. Celie already has a child by her father and now is having a second child by her father. One day, my daddy come and say, you're going to do what your mama wouldn't. Now, I got two children by my daddy. A baby boy called Adam. He took while sleeping. And a baby girl called Olivia. They took right out my arms. He took her first child who she named Adam, away from her while she was asleep. We have this horrible little sequence where she's giving birth in the middle of winter. Literally, the steam is coming off of their bodies because it's so cold. And she is crying because she's a child giving birth. Ain't you done yet? Oh, it's so horrible. Oh, God. And to make matters worse, their mother is dead and can't protect them. Yeah, they're all alone in the world. All they have is each other. Their father literally, you're right, literally looks at them as cattle. Like, Alfonso treats Nettie better than Celie because he thinks Nettie is prettier, which is fucking disgusting. Well, because if she's pretty, then he can get rid of her to a man, right? Indeed. And that man is Albert Johnson. Oh, God. We have to talk about Danny Glover now, don't we? Danny Glover plays... Mister, as he's referred to most of the time throughout the narrative, but his name's Albert Johnson. I, we didn't we didn't learn his name was Albert till like halfway through the movie. Put a pin in it. <laughs> oh God. He shows up to the Harrises asking to marry Nettie. Alfonso straight out refuses. He says, You cannot have Nettie, she's too young. I can't let you have Nettie. She's too young. But I tell you what, I can let you have Celia. She's the oldest anyhow, she ought to marry first. She ain't fresh, though, but I expect you know that. She's spoiled. Twice. That's so fucking disgusting, I wanted to fucking spit. Like, she's spoiled. You fucking spoiled her then, Alfonso. Yeah, quote unquote. Like, you fucking rapist. Like, Alfonso offers Celie to him, and he's like, well, shoot, i never seen her. Let me take a look at her. And he decides she'll do. So Alfonso just gives Celie to Johnson. Johnson doesn't even marry her at first. He brings her to his property to take care of it, take care of him, and his whole mess of kids because his wife is recently deceased. Yeah, we need to talk about this for a second because one of the things that I've always heard about men in these days... Early 20th century. Yeah, I feel like in the early 20th century, I feel like no man actually wanted to get married. I feel like they just want a mother and a waitress. No, that's that's literally all they want. Yeah, and all they really need. Yeah, like I like. Why did any of these men ever get married? Like it's so clear they hate being married, and like these children have been allowed to run wild. His wife is dead. His kids are rotten. His property is in disrepair, and his abuse of her is rampant from the get go. He, he does not see her as human. He sees her as his personal slave. Yeah, he's got her doing everything: 
cooking, cleaning, taking care of the kids. That kitchen. Oh, the kitchen. The disaster of the kitchen. And you know, she makes it look like it's brand spanking fucking new. And she doesn't even get a thank you. No, no. It's absurd. When she's trying to comb out his daughter's hair because it hasn't been combed out in so long. He's not taking care of the children's hair. I know. You were biting and kicking on What's the last time somebody combed their hair? Not since somebody did. Here, here, go clean myself. Go on. I'll just have to shave it off and start. No, no, no. It's bad luck to cut a woman's hair. That'll take all day. Shut up. While this is all going on, there's this woman in town. Her name is Corinne. She stands out to Celie because she's one of the few black women in the county that dresses as well as she does. Yeah. She has money. She has access to some sort of support. And it's because she's a preacher's wife, Preacher Samuel. And she's noticing this woman carrying around this baby that looks a lot like her daughter, Olivia. Because it is. Oh, my God. I was so tense during this scene. I was looking at you side eye like... Wait, is it actually Olivia or does she just think it looks like Olivia? Like, I can't tell exactly what's happening here. This poor 14-year-old child is following this woman around in town because she knows she has her child. And it's like, to be that young, how you can even comprehend that, like, that's my child, that's mine, and not even view it as, like, a doll you yeah. know, you know what I mean? Like, how could she even conceptualize that? She wants to keep her. She wants to care for her. But Alfonso sold her Remember, to Corinne. Remember, took her out, took Olivia out of her arms. Like, right after she was born. Like, what, she didn't even dry her off. Just took her away. And it's so horrible. I, I want to cry. I want to cry. And Corinne is being very nice about this. Yeah. How long you get your little girl? Oh, she'd be seven months on the 15th. Can I hold her? Well, if you like. Yes. Watch your head now. She lets Celie hold her. And almost doesn't give her back. Yeah, I know. Because she wants her. It's her literal child. Anyway. Nettie tired of being abused by Alfonso, runs away from the Harrises to live with Celie and Albert. Albert, of course, leches after Nettie. Celie knows it's only a matter of time before Albert rapes Nettie. Yeah, because remember, Nettie was the one he originally wanted to marry. So Nettie decides, since she was favored in childhood, and she is actually literate, as Celie is not, she decides to teach Celie to read and write so that when they are separated, because they both know it's coming, they can communicate. What would I do if I couldn't talk to you? We could write. Can you read good enough? No, I can't sit down too. Then I'll just have to go to school for both of us. And we'll both learn real hard before he breaks us apart. Yeah. <laughs> what Nettie does is she writes on wax paper the names of objects and sticks them everywhere and starts teaching Celie how to read them and spell them. She's teaching her how to write. She's spelling out all the words and I'm like, yes, Celie, yes. She starts reading Oliver Twist. Uh, even I have not read Oliver Twist. I'm a fucking English major like Celie. <laughs> Get it. So obviously after some time, Johnson does try to rape Nettie. It's a very uncomfortable scene where he's cornering her in a meadow. Oh my God. She's on her way to school. How She's f- got books under her arm. so fucking gross. I can't even. And he's chasing her through the orchard on horseback. And I was like yelling. I was like, ah, ah, no, this cannot happen. This cannot happen. Nettie injures Johnson and she gets away from him because Nettie has denied Albert he's banishing her from his property yeah and this scene where he's literally physically tearing Nettie away from Celie Celie's like wrapped around her dead weight begging Albert begging Albert not to throw her off the farm let us stay please let us Akosua Busia, she's Ghanaian, 
She's the actress who's portraying Nettie. Oh, yeah. She gives an incredible performance. This scene, oh my, this makes me a puddle. Spielberg whispered to Desiree or myself, whatever you do, don't let him separate you. Stick together. And I don't know what he whispered to Danny. I saw him go talk to Danny. I remember the toughest thing Danny had to do was beat their hands to get them to let go. I remember holding onto that thing and um, Danny Glover just, oh, mister, smashing my hands for real. That was, that was hard for him. That was really hard for him. It's the tenderness of humanity is what gets me most in this film. Like, Nettie is the only person in the world who loves Celie. Yeah. Literally no one else cares about Celie in her life. Not those kids, not Albert, not her father, obviously. I think it bugs the shit out of Albert that he couldn't come between them. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, Seely, honestly, I feel like, even if he doesn't intellectualize it, I feel like he knows that with Nettie around, Seely is stronger, and he doesn't want her strong. This sequence is almost too wrenching. He throws her out in the road, and Seely is yelling after her, begging her to write to her. Oh, my God. And this line always gets me in my both my mind and my heart. Nothing but death can keep me from it. Albert tells Celie never to touch the mailbox because he does not want her to possibly get any correspondence from Nettie. He's always awaiting letters from his mistress. Um, her name is Suge Avery. Oh my God. She's a semi-famous juke singer in the South. Yeah, she's like famous in the South for being like, wait, what did you call it? A ju- I called her a juke singer, but... What, what is a juke joint? Like a juke box? I don't know. I don't know the significance of the term. So we're at summer, 1916. We've time jumped. I love the transition into adult Seely because it's younger Seely reading Oliver Twist, but then it cuts to adult Seely, Whoopi Goldberg reading yes, Oliver Twist, yes. and she's reading so good now. Oliver was the victim of a... Systematic course of teaching and for the next eight or ten months, Oliver was the victim of a systematic course of treachery and deception. Celie, after all these years, assumes that Nettie is dead because she's never written her. And she's always asking Albert about it, and he never has anything to say about the mail. Yeah. And so she just, she said. She says she writes, but she never writes. She said only death could keep her from it. Maybe she dead. Oh my God. I know, I know. It's it's so wrenching. Poor fucking <laughs> Seely. The only person in the world who loves her, she believes is dead. I'm, ge- I'm sorry. I'm only getting choked up because... The no hope. The Well, it's the no hope of it. And it's just like, if I suddenly stopped hearing from you. Oh, honey. How upset I was going to wait to do this at the end. No, it's okay. Stop crying. I'm so sorry. Oh. I'm so sorry. My goodness. I love you so much. I love you too. Okay, sorry. Maki Dada. <laughs> Go on. Guess what, folks? Suge Avery herself is coming to town. And Albert is in a tizzy. Oh, God. Her having to dress him. And he keeps leaving the room and, like, forgetting everything. Oh, yeah. See, like, he's on his way to meet Suge, right? Yeah. Like, that's why he's always got his eye on the mo- on the mailbox, because he's waiting for a letter from Suge mm-hmm. to say, hey, baby, I'm going to be in town. Yeah. Let's meet up. And she is literally, Celie is dressing him for a date with another woman. He, she is his wife. Yeah. She is Mrs. Johnson. She is hardly ever treated that way. But I think this is almost funny for her. Because she never sees him like this. I know. And it's kind of funny for her to see him so out of control. Yeah, he's he's having a breakdown. Oh, no. Oh, oh. Hey, Celie, don't forget to I'm my shirt. Yes, And where my black tie? I mean, not the black one, the yellow one with the black in it. It's in there. I don't see it. And where my suit is? In the drawer. Is, is it on the shelf here? 
So, Albert's got one son named Harpo. I love that Harpo is Oprah backwards. Is it really? As a matter of fact, the production company that produced the Oprah Winfrey show was called Harpo Productions. <laughs> These are things I did not know. Named after the character. But, like, Harpo was Harpo was the kid who threw the brick at her when she first showed up on Albert's she farm, right? my mammy threw that brick at her, yeah. Oh, my God! I mean... As far as the kids go, Harpo is kind of the most shy, most timid, except for when he throws bricks. Yeah, what the hell? Because Harpo is terrified of Albert, as he should be, because Albert is a rapist and an abuser. Yeah. Constantly beating poor Celie in front of all those children. Harpo been new about Albert. Harpo wants to marry a local woman named Sophia because she is pregnant by him. Sophia is everybody's favorite character because it's Oprah Winfrey. Yes. Dear God, Harpo be in love with a girl called Sophia. Now she be a big girl. Mr. Say he want to have a look at her. I see them coming way up the road. They just be marching like going to war. Sophia is someone who has self-respect, who thinks highly of herself, who is not going to take lip from anyone trying to put her down. And if you are bothering her, you are going to hear about it. She's a strong person. I love her. And Albert senses that the first moment Harpo tries to introduce her to him. Oh, here we go. Albert immediately decides Sophia is not going to fit into their family and that Harpo is not going to marry her. And Albert uses the excuse of, you don't even know this is your baby. And Sophia is like, bitch, he's the only one I've ever been with. Right? Yeah. Like, not that it was any of your GD business, Albert. Looks like you got yourself in trouble. No, sir, I ain't in no trouble. Big though. Who the daddy? Harpo. How he know that? He know cause he the only one. Celie, give me some lemonade. Young women no good these days. Got their legs open for every Tom, Dick, and Harpo. And I love that in this scene where Harpo's introducing Sophia to Albert, Sophia is noticing Celie. Right. And how Albert is treating Celie. And how Celie is not that much older than they are. Right. But... Like, she's doing the math in her head and going, oh, no. But this is technically Harpo's stepmother. That's so strange. I know. It, 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 it's so incredibly awful. Albert thinks Sophia thinks too highly of herself. And what she really, really, she just respects herself and others. And Albert has no understanding of that. <laughs> when she stands up to leave and she's like, come on, Harpo. And he doesn't get up because he doesn't want to get up in front of his father. Harpo, don't you move. One step. Just don't make me wait too long, Harpo. 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 Harpo! I won't. I will. I will. I do. I do. I do. They're getting married. <laughs> I love it. Sophia gets married with the baby in her arms. I love it. All of her big, happy, supportive family on one side of the church, and maybe a couple of Harpo's siblings, Celie and Albert, yeah. who is asleep. <laughs> Albert's asleep. <laughs> oh my God. He's such garbage. <laughs> and I love it when, because like Albert stands up to try and hug Harpo. Like, in congratulations, he can't even hug his kid. He's he very uncomfortable. He doesn't know how. And then he goes over to Sophia and her three aunties <laughs> get right in his way as if to say, don't you dare come near my niece. Like, <laughs> I love these women. And I love how happy Sophia is. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, uh, she is happy on that day. But this deteriorates very quickly, doesn't it? Harpo sees Sophia as too domineering over him. And so he's trying to seek advice from Albert, who knows how to keep a woman in line. <laughs> you mean by beating them. And that's exactly what Albert says. No wonder she doesn't mind you. You never hit her. 
he tries to be more domineering with her, and it's just not taking. She dismisses it all as nonsense. I also love that Harpo cannot stop falling through roofs <laughs> in this movie. That's one of the only funny things about this movie is that he is always falling through the roof. Because, like, he's building them a house. Harpo, come on down here. I need you to hold this baby. Mm-hmm. Now, keep yourself busy. I see you busy making a racket. Now, come on down here. Let that damn Sophia. I come down when I get ready. And he falls through the roof and Sophia walks through and is like, it's going to rain on your head. You need to fix that right now. Hands him their daughter and the bottle. And the way he goes, what am I supposed to do with it? That's your child, Harpo. Men were hopeless. She's expecting him to do a little bit of the work with the kids. Because you're like, you know, their father. But since it's 1916, it's unheard of. And that's like all her job. And Harpo says to Seely, what am I going to do about her? And Seely, very surprisingly, says, Peter, that's all Seely knows. Yeah, no. So that's why she's, she's also jealous of Sophia. She's jealous that Sophia is loud and proud and considers herself equal to Harpo. Yeah. Because she's never had that in any relationship, except for with Nettie. Yeah, I know. It, it's like, it's. I think we could be very quick to judge her in that moment, but you're right. It's all she knows. And maybe she's even trying to help a little bit because she's like, well, it keeps the peace in my house. Mm-hmm. Like, even though I'm not experiencing peace, it's just... It's just something that we cannot relate to, and but I just think we need to come from a place of understanding in that moment. Here it is, the famous fucking scene. Here she comes. Sophia is marching through the corn to Seely, who's trying to erect a scarecrow. You told Harpo to beat me. All my life I had to fight. I had to fight my daddy. I had to fight my uncles. I had to fight my brothers. Girl, child ain't safe in a family means. But I never thought I had to fight in my own house. I love how this is interspliced between her and Seely and Albert and Harpo. Because Harpo is swearing up and down. It was a mule that kicked him in the face, not Sophia's fist. He doesn't want to tell his daddy that he got beat up by his wife. And you know, she's got a pretty good mark on her eye. Sophia does. But Harpo's eye is worse. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> she hits back. I mean... If there's one thing Sophia does in this narrative, she hits back. Like, I just... Nobody put your hands on anybody else. That's all I'm saying. Just don't put your hands on anybody. You know, Sophia's telling Celia, all my life I've had to fight all the men in my family. The line literally is, a girl child ain't safe in a family of men's. And I mean, I hate that that was a more of a prevalent reality at one point Uh, it's still a reality today yeah unfortunately it it can be a very toxic environment and it can be very lonely i love hoppo god knows i do but i kill him dead for i let him be after years of having five children with harpo sophia decides she's done She she packs her shit and she leaves. And I'm like, yes, Sophia, run, don't walk. Yeah, seriously, seriously. I'm just going to drop this in here again. The music in this movie, especially the flutes, it yanks my heartstrings all the way out my ass. You do love a good flute in your soundtrack. I do. Remember the flute from Titanic? now you're making me think of that 20th century Fox recorder version. (laughs) Play a little bit of it for me. Not the bad (laughs) recorder version. Anyway, back to the brutal content. So, Suge Avery is back in town. She's, um, you know, I think the term you used when you asked me about it was dope sick. Okay, yeah, that's the thing. Many things could be happening here. It's not explicitly stated. She could be going through withdrawal. Or she's got a very bad sexually transmitted disease. Yeah, like, and we're not really sure what's happening exactly, but she seems a little out of it. Yeah. Like, it's almost like she could be intoxicated. I think what it is, I, I, I don't know from the book, but I think what it is is she has very bad syphilis. And syphilis 
can do awful things to your brain, give you horrible fever. I think that's what's happening here because her mental state is a little altered. And she's probably not taking very good care of her health. Celie hears that Suge Avery is outside. Oh, no. And she has got dirt all over her because she's playing with the kids. She cannot meet Suge Avery looking like this. She's like a big fan of Suge. Yeah. Because like you were saying, she's famous throughout the South as being a juke joint singer. She's like always wanted to meet Suge Avery. And I hate the way we've been flippantly saying this, but while she's being raped by Albert all the time... There is a picture of Suge sitting on his nightstand. Yeah, that's so terrible. And that's what that's the image that she looks at to escape from her horrible reality while that's happening to her. Oh my god. And she finally is getting to meet her. <laughs> this is so horrible. They're in the soaking rain. They're bringing Suge up. Albert's like, this is Suge. She's a friend of the family. And Celia in voiceover. I can't move. I can't move. I need to see her eyes. I feel like once I see her eyes... Then my feet can let go of the spot they stuck in. She raises her head up. It's Suge Avery, all right. But Suge decides to be a bitch from the get-go. Aww. You show is ugly. <laughs> She's not in her right mind. Like, I, I, again, I don't know exactly what's happening with her, but she's clearly, she's clearly not lucid. Imagine if I met Rihanna. Oh, no. And she looked right at me and went, you're fucking ugly. (laughs) I'd laugh. I'd negate myself. I'd laugh so hard. I'd enter the void (laughs) and I'd take you with me for laughing. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Fucking pink hair and snark. No, listen, that's not true at all. If Rihanna looked at you and said you were ugly, I would look at Rihanna dead in the eye and go, why are you being so fucking rude? Thank you for the support. I don't care who you are, Rihanna. While this is happening, because Suge views Albert as, well, one, a support, but number two, as a very weak man. She's berating him verbally, and that's not something that Celie is accustomed to, (laughs) hearing anyone berate Albert verbally. Let alone a woman. Yeah, I know. And he, like, I don't know what kind of hold she's got on Albert, but he will take any behavior from her. Turn loose my goddamn head. What's the matter with you? You crazy? I don't, you know, weak little boy. Case ain't no to his daddy hanging on me. I need me a man. You hear? A man! Suge was the one that Albert wanted to marry. Yeah. And it didn't happen because XYZ. But this is where, for the first time, Celie hears her refer to him as Albert. She didn't know his name. She's only ever known him as Mr. And been forced by him to call him Mr. And that's just, that's just... She knew her last name was Johnson, but didn't know his name was Albert. And here's the thing. Suge is throwing things in the bedroom and having a tantrum and demanding that Albert make her some food. And Albert is going to happily oblige... But Albert doesn't know anything about cooking. Celie thinks this is fucking hilarious. Yeah, because he doesn't want her help, right? Right, he wants to do it all himself. So that he can tell her he did it. She pulls up a chair and watches it, puts her puts her face in her hands and is watching him grinning while he's trying to light the oven. He takes out a can of kerosene. Oh no. I love the shot where it cuts away to him loading the stove with kerosene and then cuts back and the chair's just rocking back and forth empty. Because <laughs> she's like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I don't want to be here when this place blows sky high. He He's fucking crazy. He brings Shug this literal burning breakfast. It's on fire. It's literally on fire. And Shug <laughs> you hear from inside the room. This has got a little burn on him, but it just the way you like him. Sun inside. You trying to kill me? No, 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 look out now. That baby don't be that way. She throws that against the wall in the hallway. And him against the wall in the hallway. I love it. I love it so much because he's been so horrible throughout this entire movie. And now he's actually getting a taste of his own abuse. I wrote, she literally throws him and his burnt ass breakfast out the room. <laughs> love to see it. No notes. Seely whips Suge up a nice damn breakfast. And she eats all of it. Uh-huh. This bitch has got ham. Eggs. Hotcakes, 
grits. She's got all of it, baby. I love the oh, I love the shots of the food cooking. I I know, I know. Mm. You love a good food montage. I want all of it. And the the way she drops the tray in her room and runs over to the wall to get out of the way of a possible <laughs> flying tray. <laughs> and she literally opens the door and shoves the tray back out empty. Yeah. She loved it so much she ate the dishes too. <laughs> She did not. I know. I just don't think any script supervisor thought of that. I wrote, Shug in the tub. She's drinking. She's smoking. And this is the first time Shug is like, who the hell are you <laughs> to Celie? It's like she's just realizing Celie's been there the whole time. <laughs> what you staring at? Never seen a naked woman before? You got any cheering? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Me, I ain't that old. Two? Where they at? I don't know. Who are you? Sealy man. And this is where we first get mention of a little bit of Suge's personal story. She asks Sealy if she has children and where they are, and Sealy says, I have two children and I don't know where they are. Aww. And she's like, Do you have kids? And Shug tells her she does, but that they live with her parents. Her father is the preacher in Eatonton. Oh, that's right. The Like, the church that's nearby. The church, the man that married Harpo and Sophia is Suge's father. Yeah, he ministers to the entire community, mm -hmm. and he and Suge do not get along. Because Suge sings and smokes and sins and drinks. and He literally won't speak to her. Yeah. He will not address her. He's embarrassed by her. Yeah. And I'm like... God, literally, God, would God want you to do that, sir? I don't think so, sir. Like, ugh. So guess what? Johnson Sr. comes to visit. Oh, no. This is Albert's father. Yeah, this is where the whole theme of generational trauma really starts to smack you in the face. Because obviously, Albert's horrible, and Albert's children are kind of horrible, because mm. the only mama they had to really raise them was Celie, and that was too many kids. And so there's... It was a child raising children. It was a child raising children, and then now you get to see where Albert came from, the rock that he formed under, and I'm just not surprised at all. The evil started somewhere. The man is an asshole. What is it with this Shug Avery? She black as tar, nappy-headed, got legs like baseball bats. My own daddy won't even have nothing to do with her. Put out Old Mr. Talking Trash about Shug. Folks don't like nobody good. being too proud or too free. Now she know more than a juke joint Jezebel. I love how Seely says... Folks don't like people being too proud or too free. Ooh. So true, Seely. It is so true. This is where we kind of almost see Seely feeling bad for Albert when it comes to his father. She kind of is realizing here, oh yeah, it's all been done to you too. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's something she intellectualizes. I don't know whether she feels bad for him or not, but <laughs> it is starting to make sense to her. But like, even just the small act of her spitting in Mr. Senior's water... <laughs> You know? I love that. It's almost like, I can't believe you're in that very small way going to bat for Albert. Again, it's not something I can relate to. <laughs> Drama is complex. Yeah, it is complex. And I I don't judge Celie at all for any of her actions in this story. She is an absolute victim and survivor. And I it just I just get so mad at the men. I know. I it just fills me with rage. Men are evil. Guys, if you haven't guessed it, we have a lot of time jumps. <laughs> This movie literally spans like 40 years. We're at summer 1922. Harpo is building a juke joint. Yeah, that's my next note I have. We're building a juke joint. Harpo is literally taking his house apart that he had with Sophia and is building a juke joint in the swamp down from his father's farm. Like on the water. Yeah. This is cool. Harpo's is dirty. <laughs> <laughs> it is on a lake. They're frying fish on top of a swamp, on top of a dirty grate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's where all the flavor comes from. There's a man in the band. <laughs> His name is Swain. Larry Fishburne. Larry Fishburne. <laughs> 1985 Larry. Hi, babe. He's so fine, Carrie. I know. He's so fine. Oh, my God. 
Oh my god, I wish I had a time machine. And like, we're whooping it up in the juke joint. Shug is headlining. Absolutely. And the thing about this is, it's 1922 now. It's the jazz age. Things are a little bit more liberated everywhere. Yeah. The Great War is over, and Prohibition is alive and well. Albert has brought Seely with him to the juke joint to see Suge perform. What did he do that? I think it has something to do with not allowing her to be home alone and snoop through his things. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's a form of control. And like all the people in the joint are like, oh, look, Albert brought his maid. Yeah. Not only does she have to suffer abuse from Albert and all those kids, but from the community as a whole. Yeah, because they don't recognize her as his actual wife. And they don't want to be abused by him either. Yeah. Uh, he's a feared person. And um, Celie is not accustomed to seeing people behave in this way, <laughs> loud and rowdy. Well, I drank your bath water. Okay, when Suge is singing that first song and that guy literally yells at her, girl, I drink your bath water. (laughs) (laughs) It's so gross. I hate men. (laughs) But like, Celie's like covering her mouth so no one will see her laugh. I know. Because she thinks she, this is what breaks my heart about Celie is that Anytime she goes to smile, she will always cover her mouth because she thinks she's ugly. Yeah, she was always told by her father that when she smiles, she's ugly, that her teeth are too big, that her lips are too big, that she's too black. And that's so, it just, that's so horrible. She's such a beautiful woman. She is. She is. And like the it's fact- Whoopi Goldberg. It is Whoopi Goldberg. Like she's beautiful. Mm. And like the fact she can't even smile without feeling self-conscious about herself. I hate it. But you know what? All the smiles are about to ramp up because what does Suge do next? Suge has put together a little number for Seely. The song I'm about to sing is called Miss Seely's Blues. Because <laughs> she scratched it out my head when I was ailing. Her favorite musician wrote a song about her. Could you imagine? And is singing to her. Imagine if Rihanna sat me she's not my favorite but one of imagine if rihanna sat me down and wrote a song about me or even if she just got in your face with the mic and went what is wrong with me why, why do, do i feel like this but like this scene is just so amazing sister you've been on I love it. Quincy Jones, you're amazing. (laughs) He wrote this song. Like, I I love this. I was singing this to you, wasn't I? Yes, you were. I hope you think that you're something too, baby. I love you. This is just such a lovely moment. Celie is so grateful, and Albert is like his head down the whole time, and he's like, oh no, my wife and my mistress are (laughs) connecting. Albert hates this, and I love how much he hates it. I love that. I love it so much. I love that. Stop away, my sister. We sure ain't got a whole lot of time. So shows up after the number's over, though. <laughs> I have Sophia is in the house. She's got a new man. His name's Henry Broadnax, but you can call him Buster. I was going to say, I have Buster. Where are you getting Henry from? <laughs> Harpo is scandalized to see Sophia in the juke joint. Because we've all we've all been at a party. Yeah. Where some... Exes show up? Where exes show up with their new beau or person, and... <laughs> Everybody's scandalized. Harpo is literally in the rafters, <laughs> spying on Sophia, having a good time. <laughs> Unhinged uh, behavior. 
Also in this time, Harpo has acquired a new partner of his own. Her name is Mary Agnes, but everyone calls her Squeak because of how her voice sounds. <laughs> Which is just rude. It, it is rude, but she do be a little squeak. She did. She really does. And like, Harpo, again, falls out of the rafters and is like, this is scandalous. <laughs> what you doing here? <laughs> I come here to hear Miss Shug sing and to see what a nice place you built. Just a scandalous. One with chilling in a juke joint at night. Oh, woman need to have a little fun, Harpo. You're a mother. You shouldn't be here. And she's like, shut up and dance with me. Like for old times' sake. It's so weird. Like, she came here, obviously, to bother him. Yeah. And now she, like, wrong. She came here to listen to Shug sing. Uh-huh. Then maybe bar- bother Harpo a little. But, like, now she wants to play Twinkle Toes with him? Well, it's also... I love how it's actually her house. It really is. It's literally pieces of her house that Harpo took apart and reassembled into a juke joint. <laughs> <laughs> The new Mrs. Harpo is not happy about this. <laughs> Squeak says that Sophia should leave Harpo alone. And not if you my man. You're just a big old heifer. <laughs> like I said, fine with me. Whoop, time to go. And then smacks her. And you know what you don't do? You don't hit Sophia. You never. Sophia hits back. Puts that bitch in the swamp, literally. <laughs> because, like, I don't, I don't know what you guys are picturing a juke joint, but, like, we're literally talking about a building that's at the edge of a pier. That's all wood. And it's all wood, and it's surrounded by water. <laughs> so, like, literally all she has to do is push her off the dock into the <laughs> disgusting swamp. And this triggers a bar fight. Harpo's gets destroyed. I have, whoop, time to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. The members of the band, when they're, when they're hitting each other oh time to go <laughs> they're just packing up their <laughs> instruments and calmly leaving while this literal bar fight is ensuing i love it's panning through everyone's beating the fuck out of each other and seelie is in the middle of it smiling <laughs> because it's violence that's not happening to her <laughs> that's not funny and that's not why i'm laughing i just i just like that she's pleased yeah that's why i'm laughing because she is just pleased as punch we're back at Johnson's, and Suge is letting Celie try on some of her fits. This scene is darling. Gay, 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 gay. gay. <laughs> Oh, my God. Not the gay erasure. No, yeah, I know. Okay, okay, so so tell me about it. Talk to me about it. I need it. I need some positivity. Suge teaches Celie that it's okay for her to smile, that she's actually very beautiful, And that she's allowed to have a little bit of Mm self-respect in her life. And, like, she literally holds her arms at her sides and forces herself to smile at herself in the mirror. (laughs) (laughs) You see, Miss Seeley, you got some beautiful smiles. I love Whoopi Goldberg's laugh. I just do. And I, it, it's it's one of the only times we hear Celie laugh in the movie. I know. When she's looking at herself all dressed up. Like, it's... And, you know, while she's looking at herself in the mirror, Shug says, you know what? It's time for me to finally go. You know, it's been a great summer, but I'm going to need to move on. I need to go back and do my winters in, you know, Chicago or whatever. Memphis. Memphis. Wait, she's got tours to do. She's got places to go. She's People- in demand. People to sing to. People want her. She's got bookings. And and this kills Celie. Celie tells her, you know, he beats me when you're not here. He beat me when you ain't here. Who did? Albert? Why he do that? He beat me for not being you. Oh, that broke me. Celie's like, you actually like him? And Shug's like, I'm going to be honest. I love him. Ew! If I was going to marry anyone, it would have been him. And I'm like, Shug, come on. Why didn't you? Why are we in this mess? Listen a little bit harder. Shug literally is like, don't you like having sex with him? And she's like, no, I don't. 
I pretend like I'm not even there. He just gets on top of me and does his business. And Shug goes, you're making it sound like he's going to the bathroom on you. And she goes, that's what it feels like. That is assault. Yeah. That is assault. There is no love behind that action whatsoever. And she says it's because no one loves her. And Shug's like, I love you. <laughs> and Celia's like, Ross, I'm going to fucking sob. I love you. You think that's ugly? No, I don't. You ugly. You show is ugly. Mm, you still ugly. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh, Miss Seely. That was just a salt and sugar. Me being jealous of you and Albert. I think you're beautiful. This is where I wrote Whoopi Goldberg's eyes. Oh, they're beautiful. They're so big and captivating. And this is where <laughs> gay, 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 gay. <laughs> now we're kissing oh yeah she's giving her pecs it's very sweet shug is giving her little pecs on the cheek to show her affection for her like i really i really wanted to cry there i really did because she's never known anything like that she, this is her like first demonstration in her entire life of physical intimacy yeah real intimacy yeah like it, not something for something, not a horrible brutal attack. Like literally, this person loves her and wants to be physically close to her. And like we cut away from that to like the wind chime, All and I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the wind chime. Go back. All I'm saying is, in the book, they have a full-on sexual relationship, but it's kind of downplayed in the movie. It's 1985, we get it, but like... But also do better? Yeah, also do better. Oh my god! Show us the gays. <laughs> so after the smoochy sequence, Celie tries to flee with Suge. She's literally gonna try and leave Albert and all his kids behind and run away with Suge to be happy. It doesn't happen. Not under Albert's watchful eye. They're putting Suge in the car... To leave with the band for Chicago. Yeah. And like Seely's holding the door open. What's something you got to say, Miss Seely? Oh, what's the matter? Cat got your tongue? Don't be scared. Say it, girl. I was gonna miss you. <laughs> I was gonna miss you too, Miss Seely. And she just stares at her for the longest time. Is finally just like, I'm gonna miss you. And Shug's like, I'll miss you too. And when it comes time, she can't do it. Why do you think that is? Probably because she can't say it in front of Mister. If Albert knew what Shug and Seely were doing, Seely would have been murdered. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or about damn near murdered. I understand. And I understand. When the car drives away, Seely collapses because her beatings are going to start again. Yeah. The abuse is going to start all over again, and she knows it. Hey, hey, Shug! Shug, right? You good in Chicago, Shug! All right, guys, I know how frustrating it is, but that's where we're going to end today's part one. Sorry, Seely. <laughs> yeah, we're really sorry, Seely. <laughs> we're sorry to leave you on the ground, Seely. We apologize. Gosh, but you know what, guys? Come back next week. For the beautiful part. Yeah, for the really <laughs> beautiful parts. Color purple part one, brutality. The color purple part two, strength. Absolutely. <laughs> so, guys, look out for next week's episode. In the meantime, you can go follow us on Twitter at KickNStream. K-I-C-K-N-S-T-R-E-A-M. You can write the show at Kicking and Streaming Podcast at gmail.com. That's with an and, not an ampersand. And don't forget, folks, please be practicing the three R's. Rate, review, retweet. Rate, review, retweet, folks. We want everyone to come and join this little watch party. Yeah, guys, if you think that there's something we can improve, we want to hear from you. Absolutely. Your comments, your feedback is what keeps us making this experience great for everybody. And don't forget, now you can go support us on Patreon for just $5 at the little Onion tier. Give us your money! Pretty please, with sugar on top, we'd love you forever. We want to pay to do more cool things. We want to bring you in-depth coverage. Absolutely. <laughs> more quality content coming to you from Kicking and Streaming. Until then, I'm Carrie. I'm Ross. And as always, sorry, sorry mom. Gossip news, gossip news, gossip news.